Alonso. Morning, Beck. And another episode. And we're back with Not Superwoman. Today's episode, this one is, I think, Zoe and I love to have a good time and have a laugh. And there is definitely moments for it, even throughout this episode. But it's also one of the ones that I think is a little thought-provoking and more Yeah, we'll, we'll resonate with a lot of us. So we speak with Megan from um, Panda Organisation, which is the Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia organisation. Um, and she is so amazing in that she's willing to be vulnerable and share her um, journey through realising that she was suffering perinatal depression. Um, I have since learned that perinatal um, is pre, like during pregnancy and post-pregnancy anxiety and depression. Um, I've sort of, we've always heard it as postnatal, but it can exist and, um, and you know, you may not even realise that um, people suffer during pregnancy also. Uh, and she is so informative about Panda. They are a program or organisation that can you can reach out to and support you through not only um, pregnancy but post-birth and even up to the age of toddlers. So if you're struggling um, well and truly after birth, uh, there is a support network there and they have so much, uh, so many resources and um, experts and educators that you can contact um, and they'll walk you through step by step. But this, she, she, yeah. I, I feel like I took so much away from this. I feel like I say that every week, but I did learn so much. And I think, you know, looking back on it now, I did have a lot of those symptoms and it, it has given me time to reflect on that and I guess accept that I probably should have reached out for help and, and didn't because I didn't know how. And I think that's, you know, it does, it's that validation of, of the way you feel. And she made me feel like, you know, it's okay to feel not great every day and have anxiety and, you know, what those symptoms are and how to seek help. Yeah, because it's funny, one of their posters is, um, it's, it's titled with, uh, if I tell anyone how I'm really feeling, they'll think I'm a bad parent. And that resonated with me because I was like, um, that's how I felt. And, and again, in hindsight, I think for me, I absolutely um, was suffering silently and trying to be stoic because for whatever reason, there's this ongoing um, theme that um, having any form of anxiety or depression doesn't have to be extreme. It, it, it can be as simple as... Um, feeling exhausted, feeling overwhelmed and the, it, for whatever reason it seems to be that no one really wants to admit it and it's a bit of a dirty little secret yeah, that, and that, that you stiff, keep to yourself. Stiff upper lip mentality that you just soldier on mm. and you're meant to just pull yourself together, pop on some lippy and walk out the door. Yeah. You know, often that's not the case. I feel like for me I was always told, you know, you're going to have these moments, you know, after you fall pregnant where you have a breakdown, you have the what they call the baby blues, you know, every day is not going to be great. And I feel like I, you know, in retrospect, looking back, 
when I was on bed rest in hospital with twins for 10 weeks, I do remember this one day and Charlie, this is before Uber Eats, before Netflix and Charlie came into the hospital, oh, he rang the hospital and was like, Zoe, what do you feel like? And I'm like, I really, really want Messina. And he's like, what flavours? Ice cream. I said, I don't, yeah, ice cream, sorry. Yeah. I said, I don't really care, you choose, whatever, I was a bit blasé. And at this point, I was on bed rest, could not get out of bed. I couldn't even really, I had toilet toilet privileges and I could have a shower. But apart from that, I was in bed. So Charlie comes in with this Messina and he pops it on my little tray and I open it up. And I was like, what is this? He's like, oh, Messina. And I was like, what are these flavours? He's like, oh, um, I chose all Asian flavours. Like I've gone with green tea. Pendang and some kind of lychee. And I literally lost my mind. I picked up the Messina and threw it across the room. And I was like, who the hell wants like Pendang green tea ice cream when they're on bed rest? And then Charlie was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm like, get out. And because I couldn't get up and physically move, I like rolled my body over and tucked myself into the into my pillow. And I was like, leave, just leave. I know. I mean, it was that, like mortifying. Uh, you, yeah, I'm for the for out of the two of us, you are the non-emotional one. But that would challenge anyone that ten weeks on bed rest. Oh, I just lost my mind. Yeah, and then on top of that, I think. I mean, well, not on top of that. For me, it was more like uh, I was a bit naive. Ignorance is bliss. Going into my first, and then when I my struggles, I think was more. When the baby was, when Bertie was born, and then growing into a toddler, I um, just felt so overwhelmed and alone. But I didn't. Act, I now in hindsight, I had no idea of how alone I actually felt. Like I just, no, I and just remember being like, up slowly. Like you don't realize, you know, that you're angry every day, and that's actually not normal. Yeah, yeah. And so through talking with Megan, a lot of realizations, but also. It made me realise had I had reached out or recognised that we I needed some support, um, there was an option there. And I wish I had known about Panda uh, back then. I don't know if I would have called. I don't know if I needed someone to tap me on the shoulder. But um, their their organisation, you can do it privately and there are steps that are taken that put you in contact with support networks and experts and I think only good comes from it. And if you're in a place where that's you right now, there, um, Megan is very insightful and all of the resources and links she's provided us will be on our website and in our show notes. So we hope this episode um, you can have some takeaways and if anything, it helps you if you're in a tough spot. Thanks, Megan. Welcome to Not Superwoman. Uh, this week's episode is one that I feel super passionate about. I think our title of the episode kind of says it all. If I tell anyone how I'm really feeling, they will think I'm a bad parent. And that is something that automatically I feel like I relate to. Um, and there seems to be a bit of an ongoing uh, dirty secret between new parents that they we're scared to be honest with each other in a public setting or an open forum about how we are really managing with the adjustment of 
um, trying for a family or having a new baby or extending into a sibling and a new baby. Um, and so we're very, very fortunate this week to have the incredible Megan Kasser with us. Um, Megan is the community engagement lead at Panda and Panda is the Perinatal Anxiety and Depression uh, Australia organisation. Uh, and it's I met you at a function mm-hmm. and we you were so vulnerable and honest with us and uh, with me in that conversation um, about your experience when you came into having a family that it I really am very grateful and Zoe I know is super grateful that you're here and willing to speak to us today on behalf of your own journey and on behalf of Panda so thank you welcome Megan welcome thank you thank you for having me I was looking through the website and one of the facts that really stuck out with me was that one in five women are affected with anxiety and depression and one in 10 men and that is quite an astounding figure mm. and if I think about our friendship group alone, I think yeah like if I'm being brutal I can look at all our friends and I think at one point or multiple times we've all had some kind of you know symptoms that are listed on the panda website mm. but I guess we haven't ever you know thought too much about it had the time to think about it or known who to reach out to and that was similar to you I mean when we were chatting you said to me and I actually agreed and said the same thing. I wish I knew Panda existed at the time where I felt I wasn't coping, which was, to be honest, from the beginning of mm. having my first child. Um, and you, you said yes, you were the same. You didn't have, uh, you didn't immediately know about Panda. No, I didn't. Um, I remember when we got the, you know, the little pack you get from the hospital, and it has all the brochures. And I went through that, and I looked at him and said. Well, I'm not depressed. Why are you Why are you giving me that? But because that wasn't a specific to perinatal. It wasn't for mums, parents, babies, and issues in that respect. So I didn't. I never call. I never really admitted to myself or anyone else that something was wrong. Um, because in my mind, admitting that something was wrong meant that I wasn't a good enough parent. Mm. So why is this this stigma around? You know. People, I guess, saying I need help, I want help, I don't think I'm, I'm handling this or, or feeling like I, I can manage it all. Why is there stigma and how would we, I guess, break it down? I think for me personally, I think it's a lot to do with our parents. So the, the generation before us didn't talk about mental health. It was really that attitude of, you know, we just, we get on with it. Soldiered on. Yeah, Yeah. you just, that's what everyone does. There's nothing you can do about it. We don't talk about it. We just get on with it. Um, So in my mind, I thought that's what I needed to do. And I thought anything less than that meant that I was weak, that I was a failure. Um, And I feel like that, you know, there's obviously been a really good shift towards talking more about mental health recently. Um, But even, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't talking so openly about it. Like it's really quite, um, the the movement's happening quite a lot. And I think because of COVID as well, people are now becoming a bit more comfortable and open uh, about talking about their mental health. So, Mm. 
I mean, I know for me personally, I only look back now and I'm like, whoa, mm. I was not coping. Like, I did take photos of myself just sobbing on the kitchen floor because I just was like, I have to remember this moment of how low I felt and inadequate and failing to, to be able to then look back now and go, okay, the peaks and troughs of parenting are just so extreme. Um, can you give us a bit of background so we can put things into context of what your life was like before kids and then the notable change and shift that happened when you did have a new baby? Mm. Um, so before kids, I, I lived overseas for about five years. I lived in London for a while um, and did a lot of tra- travel. So I was very independent, very much in control of my own life. And um, and even when I moved back to Australia, everything that I did, I remember there was one thing um, when I, I bought a new dining set and we had cushions for the dining chairs. And I spent like an hour just going around and tying the bows of the um, of the cushions on the dining chairs because I wanted them to be perfect and symmetrical. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. Um, and I, looking back now, before I, obviously before I was a parent, it's not making any sense at all. I'm trying to get across that I was a perfectionist. Um, no, I understand. <laughs> I do, that's resonating with me. I, I do things like that every day. Although I don't have... Well, once you have children, though, you don't have you don't the time. time. So yes. yeah. when I look back now and I'm like, oh, I was just living the dream of just I had the time to sit there, you know, I'd have a glass of wine and just do the bows on my dining chairs. Um, and I never thought I had any issue with any mental health challenges. I didn't think I was anxious. I didn't think I had, you know, any sort of depressive um, symptoms. Um, but that was because I was able to control my life so much and I was in charge of my life. Because same thing, I, I was um, saying earlier to our podcast producer, Sophie, that when we had, Zoe and I had our first children around the same age and we were so lucky to have them at the same age <clears throat> around the same time. Um, and we are both personalities, exactly what you said resonated with the both of us because we were doing that like I was perfecting the nursery to Mm. make it look like a picturesque scene yeah and then all of a sudden yeah when Bertie came I was like oh my god two plus two should equal four why doesn't equal four and that's so I relate to that completely yeah so then you had you had your first yeah and what were the noticeable shifts for you that I guess prompted your partner to, to give you the blonde, uh, Beyond Blue? Mm. So I think um, so. The pregnancy with William was very standard. There was no no issues at all. I was exercising, doing yoga right up until I gave birth, basically. Um, but it was once I went into labour that that didn't go to plan. So that was really the start. It was that not being in control um, during that process and feeling like I didn't matter and it was all about the baby. The whole time I just felt like the vessel and then even when baby came out, um, that's – and I didn't know it at the time, but I just completely disconnected. I disconnected from the experience, from my child, even from my husband because I had been traumatised by the whole experience. So in order to – survive that experience i had to just disconnect it's so bizarre the whole thing because you Mm. don't you don't think about i just would love scenarios to have been presented to me 
And then I could have thought about it because my plan was there is no plan. I booked the obstetrician. It's your job. Mm. That was my mentality going into it because I'm like, I can't control this situation. Yeah. Yeah. You need to ride it or it's going to destroy you, basically. And, Matt, you did have a traumatic birthing experience yourself. Zoe, do you want to explain? I, well, I, th- I do think a lot of people, it's not the experience that they it's expect. It's one in three. So the statistics yes. are that yes. one in three women experience a traumatic birth. And yes. that's people that are, that's statistics, which means it's people that have come forward. And said that and, they haven't. And yeah, so yeah. imagine actually how many people do experience that and don't talk about it. I think it's ultimately when you are a person that loves planning, loves control, mm. that's something that is incredibly difficult to deal with when you have no control over it. Um, I went into labour at 22 weeks with twins. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anyone with twins, didn't bother to research or do any reading or actually said nothing. I was like, great, we're having twins. I'll just, you know, get online. I think we're having boys because someone at the hospital told me. So I went and bought all the boys' outfits. We had two girls. (laughs) (laughs) But just things like that. And then I... um, you know, went in for a, a, well, I want to say routine obstetrics appointment and got told that my cervix was really short and I was going into hospital that day and I wasn't allowed to leave until I gave birth to the twins. And, you know, I, I was literally had a shift at work that night mm. and was running a cooking school and had to completely shut down my life. Um, for essentially 10 weeks before the girls arrived. And I was in bed. I was on bed rest in a hospital, wasn't allowed to stand up. Mm. I could, I mean, I could go to the bathroom and have one shower a day. That that was difficult for me. So I understand, like, control and planning. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so difficult. Yeah. And then fast forward to the point where you actually then do give birth. I've blocked that out. <laughs> <laughs> But there is, I mean, again, I'm more than willing to share and say that I got handed, I had a similar situation to you where I was 24 hours. Mm. I've never went into natural, uh, went into natural labour, labor, but um, waters didn't break. And so then ended up um, induced and um, on a lot of drugs. And... Uh, in the endopesiotomy and Bertie came out and it had been about 26 hours and I was wrecked and they just immediately pushed him on my chest to breastfeed and then left me in the room to bond with him but I just honestly was like get him off Mm. I can't I'm exhausted I'm I was vomiting Mm. from the drugs and stuff what I am so grateful for to be able to speak to you especially given that you're now involved with Panda is us having the ability to share this because I just feel like there's so much um, facade. There is. And the facade part, like we got home and I remember he was in the car caption, we sat him on the floor and I did not not know what to do. Like Mm. I I was like, I I, I don't know how. What you want, what I can give you, how can mm, I I didn't even know in the next moment what I was actually meant to do with him. So he just sat there on the floor (laughs) and it just went on from there. And I I like the three of us. I'm a really intensive planner. I think those control issues for me like definitely came from like a bumpy childhood sort of journey um, where I felt very comfortable being in control because of knowing I could 
Well, you can, yeah, plan and, and plan. implement and, and get help or, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know it, but I was just a shell of myself. Um, I had an out-of-body experience, actually. I remember when they put him on my chest um, and then I also had an episiotomy and they had a, a doctor come to stitch me up and I just I just left my body. I was just above the bed, just looking down, going, okay, yep, I'm just going to stay up here. This is a safe space for me. Mm. Um, and then when we got home, it was just... I mean, I remember being at home, but I don't really remember the thoughts. I was just going, it was just, yeah, literally, if he cries, I'll feed him. If he, you know, or I'll hold him till he sleeps. He's supposed to sleep. He didn't sleep, but I was also an anxious mess. So does that make the baby anxious? Yeah, do you feed off each other? Yeah, I I mean, apparently you do. Yeah. I didn't even know what depression was. I thought I had to be sad all the time, but I was just angry all the time. And then after 18 months of being angry, I'm like, probably shouldn't be this angry all the time. And then I, I knew that I was feeling on edge. I knew that I was worrying a lot about him. Like I would go in, you know, because he didn't sleep very well. But then when he had, he would sleep for maybe like 45 minutes, I'd be like, oh, something's wrong. I'm going to have to go in and check on him. He's probably dead. Mm. So I'd walk in. And then, of course, when I walked in, he'd wake up because I woke him up and then the whole thing yeah, would feeds, start again. Feeds, yeah. um, you know, I'd leave the house. I'd think that the oven had I'd left the oven on even though I hadn't cooked anything so I'd go back and I'd check that I didn't leave the oven on did I lock the door have I gotten everything I'd check the bag three times um so I knew that there was something that that wasn't right that for me to have those thoughts all the time now knowing and working at Panda and looking back on that do you see okay what were the attributing factors that Panda recognized as things that affect those thought processes so panda's website is amazing it actually has when you log when you first go onto the website it has a checklist for you know you I went say, through it. it was amazing yeah, yeah so you can be an expecting parent mum yeah. dad partner loved one um and you go through a checklist and it helps you to identify your signs and symptoms um and then point you into directions of support so something like that would have been great the way that i found out I guess that something was not right was I ended up googling myself postnatal anxiety which I'd never heard of because you hear a lot about postnatal depression and I'm like I'm not depressed because I'm not crying but I thought oh maybe I'm anxious I think me feeling on edge all the time is maybe anxiety I hadn't thought of myself as an anxious person before um so when I googled postnatal anxiety a checklist not a checklist but just you know the signs and symptoms of that and I just went down each one, tick, 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 tick. And then after 18 months of feeling like that, it was it suddenly became clear that that was what was going on. So can you explain the difference between perinatal and postnatal? Yep. So perinatal is actually all encompassing of um, antenatal, which is pregnancy. So as soon as you fall pregnant, and postnatal, which is up to 12 months, really. So perinatal is someone who, as soon as they fall pregnant, up until 12 months. Right. Okay. Yep. So you went through the checklist and you went, I identify with so many of these. Then what were your next steps after that point? So I actually had a friend um, of mine who did an ad for a health insurance company and they were advertising that if you signed up for their pregnancy um, insurance, 
that they would offer free psychology sessions um, for anyone that was struggling afterwards. And she had done an advert because she actually went through um, postnatal anxiety and depression herself. So I reached out to her saying, I'm experiencing this, I don't know what to do. She was the only person I told. And she said, call them, because it happened to be my insurance company. So I called the insurance company. And as soon as I, someone answered the phone, I just burst into tears. For me, it was actually a relief. Like I'd finally, that was my first step that I called someone and they said, yes, we can help you. Um, and they put me in touch with a local psychologist and I started seeing someone soon after and do you think how quickly did that you know make you feel like you were you know on the on the way to feeling better i think as soon as i realized that what i was experiencing was common and treatable and okay and it didn't mean that i was a bad parent um that 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 even before i went to my first session with my psychologist i was already feeling more positive yeah um, and one of the things that I say to people when I'm talking about Panda is that you don't have to be at crisis point. I think people think of a helpline, and I know I certainly did, um, even with the Beyond Blue brochure, thinking, well, I'm not calling a helpline like I'm not that bad. You know, no. there's nothing that bad wrong with me. But I think the mis like misunderstanding is that you have to be at crisis point to call and you definitely don't. And if it's affecting you in the way that you live your day-to-day life, your family, your children, your, your partner, yep. then I think there is, you know, it does warrant giving yep. them a call and, and getting some strategies. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we've got the, the great thing about the Panda Helpline is it's got sort of several different um, – teams that you can talk to. One of the teams that I wish I had have known about was the peer support team. So they're people who have a lived experience of a perinatal mental health challenge. Um, so they're people who have been there, they know what it's like, and they're the ones that you can just talk to about your symptoms. And it's really just about getting that validation from someone yeah. and some practical tips on how to just get on with your day and what to do next. Mm. Um, and then for the more severe cases, we have um, our clinicians and um, counsel, uh, psychologists. So is it a free service? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Completely and, free. Uh, what is the first point of contact? Is it a uh, phone number or email? Or So the first point is it's a phone number, um, which is on our website, and uh, you, uh, you, you can choose from options. So you can choose to speak to peer support or you can choose... Um, to speak to a counsellor, it's triaged or it's all automated. Um, there's a really great link, which will be in the notes as well, um, on what happens when you call the helpline. So if anyone was just curious about what's going to happen, because it can be a little bit daunting ringing oh, and not, not, not knowing, especially if you're feeling super anxious anyway and going, if I'm going to call these people, what are they going to say to me? How long's the phone call going to take? My baby's going to be waking up in half an hour. So... Just hopping on the Panda website and seeing what is going to happen when you call um, is probably a really good first step. How did the leap happen between seeking counselling to then eventually volunteering for Panda? Mm. So the, the sessions that I had, it was quite intense. I was seeing someone once a week. Uh, and we uncovered some trauma from my past that hadn't been dealt with, which is also very common, um, which which got brought up again. Um, 
because of the birth, right? So we were dealing with stuff that had happened in the past and I, my mental health actually took even more of a hit because of that. So I, I went on um, some anti-anxiety medication for a little while to help me balance out, work through that. Um, and I had, I think I was only on the medication for about eight or nine months and then just as I was coming off the medication, I happened across the Panda website. I don't know how I did. I still hadn't even heard of it through all of this. And then I got found the website. I think they were advertising maybe for a role. And I looked at it and thought, oh, my gosh, where have you been? Yeah. Um, and so I immediately just went on to volunteer positions. My paid role at the time was um, managing a volunteer program at a large not-for-profit organisation. So I'm all about volunteering. So I found a volunteer role which was educating the community about perinatal mental health challenges, which included telling my lived experience story. So I just put, I just applied for it and thought, well, I need to do this because I want to tell people if I help just one parent, help so just people. help someone to reach out earlier and not wait as long as I did, or just to even know that there's help available and also to know that feelings that you might be having are probably normal. You're not going to be the only one. Um, I think one of the scariest feelings as a new parent is not having that bond, and that's what I didn't have with my first and not having not having that immediate love that you're supposed to have when you give birth and just falling in love with your child, I never had that. And I never admitted that to anyone because I was like, how can I be a mother that doesn't love her child? What's wrong with me? Um, but that was because I was traumatised um, and I couldn't bond. Um, I love him now. It's fine. No, I, I honestly <laughs> think I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you say this and the amount of women I speak to that, if they're honest, mm. have had exactly the same experience. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And even before when I said they put Bertie on my chest and I was like, get mm. him off, I, I had, as I was saying, a strike of guilt because I absolutely loved him, but I was just in the thick of trauma. I, I mean, the, from the physical episiotomy, but then also from the whole experience and being so confronted. And love um, grows. Like you kind of, you know, it. it when you're exhausted, you're overwhelmed, you're on so much medication, you're mm. not feeling anything. Mm -mm. Like you're pretty out of it, you're pretty numb, you're, you know, it all happens so quickly. Yeah. And I think then, you know, that bond develops over time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you definitely need to be right within yourself before you yes. can then have that love. Yeah, and you think about the partner, well, they didn't carry the baby. Mm. And, of course, there is love there, but obviously it develops, it grows. Mm. Yeah, I, and I, naturally I think the partner that's not um, engaging in the m more intensive periods of physical contact, yes. it's going to be more difficult for that bond to grow or in a different way or different yeah. capacity. Yeah. Um, but when you um, and working through with Panda and when you, what do you recommend or suggest like if you are seeing a loved one going through something and, again, exampling how... Um, Clint passed you the Beyond Blue um, brochure. I mean, I know Tom, um, I think at one point he maybe spoke to one of my friends and then she sent me a message saying, like, are you okay? And I just remember being really angry. Mm, I just yeah, like, it's a very hard thing to do and, and to know the right way to approach someone without yeah. offending them 
I don't, it's tricky to navigate, I think. What does Panda recommend you do? Is there a, a right way about it or a wrong way? I mean, there's no there's no right or wrong. I think the the important thing is that if you are concerned about somebody else, they that you can't help them unless they want to be helped. Mm. Yes, so Panda does take. So if you if you're concerned about somebody else, you can call Panda mm. on behalf of a loved one and and get some some tips from from one of our counsellors. Um, but in terms of that person actually getting the help. They need to want to have the help. That's right. So, so having that conversation, having that first conversation, is really important, um, and and advocating for them. But um, but it's really hard if they don't if they don't see it. So I think just gentle reminders, check ins, self care tips, a panda brochure on the fridge. <laughs> oh, you drop this. Yes. <laughs> one in the bathroom, one in the bedroom. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really hard and it's really hard for people as well, you know, who who still see mental health as a, as a bad thing where there, there is still that stigma and they don't want to admit that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're trying to help someone like that, it's, um, it's just those really gentle check-ins and reminders that it's okay and yeah. Panda is here. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not alone in, you know, what they're experiencing. I think it's just, I mean, for me, the sleep deprivation played a major role in the first five years. It's still playing a major role. Yeah, yeah. I I, um, never coped well without sleep, especially not in the newborn phase. But that, you know, things like going for a walk, you know, whether you've got your baby in the pram or you're going by yourself or, you know, getting out, light exercise, hopping on the phone, chatting to friends. Like there's so many different strategies here. Yeah. What yeah. make each day a bit easier. Yeah. yeah. But what are the top, I guess, tips for self-care in those moments? I mean, self-care is so individualistic, right? Is that a word? I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's a word. I want to say yes, but I make yeah. words all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm going with it. I, I love it. It's new. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's relative to the individual. So um, we do have – Panda does have um, – which will be in the notes, I think, the, um, we've got a whole page on self-care and, and ideas for self-care. One of the new resources that I love from Panda, um, we've got a, a little video called Managing Change, and it's a beautiful video for new parents but also for parents with um, older children. And in the video, sort of about halfway through, they do this grounding exercise. So if you're feeling quite anxious and you just want to reset, um, it talks about how you can do, I'm going to get this wrong, but um, you go through the five senses basically. So you might, you start with five and you do, um, you know, notice five things that are around you and then you sort of label them out loud or in your mind. Then notice four things that you can smell, three things you can touch, two things you can hear, whatever. Um, and I, I even did that with my seven-year-old actually when because um, he sometimes gets quite anxious and I sat down with him and did it, and he loved it. So little things like that, videos like that, um, are really helpful and, and good to remember. Um, but I think self-care is about identifying within yourself what did you do before you had children that make that made you happy? What fills your cup? And then you might not be able to do that exact thing when you've got kids, but how can you adjust that? Or how can you can you arrange for someone to look after baby for 
you know, half an hour, an hour, so that you can go and do your thing. Even if it's just going and having a bath. I mean, one of the things that I couldn't wait for when my husband would get home from work was I would just go and have a shower. I'm having a shower. And with the first child, sometimes he would bring the screaming baby into the bathroom and be like, he wouldn't Please stop screaming. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is my time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. being, and, and I think also setting those boundaries, like that's something that I didn't do very well with my first child um, was I didn't communicate well with my husband about what was my time. I didn't say I'm going into the shower and you can't come in for 20 minutes, <laughs> please. Yeah. Um, I didn't say I didn't communicate that with him and he would just have the crying baby and be like, oh, can you fix it, please? Mm. Um, and then when we had our second, I was much better at saying, right, you're doing this, I'm doing this, I'm having this time to myself, and I was just better at advocating for myself and my needs. Yeah. And I think it's important to probably highlight that a lot of people, when they do get that person, whether it be a, a grandparent, your partner, or if you're in a position to have um, out external care like a babysitter, um, they go and fill it doing chores and other things. Yeah, going to the supermarket mm. is yeah. not me time. It's not. In fact, it erodes me. Like I'm like in there going, oh, my God, I just... Yeah, you bump into other mums and you're like, me time, me time. And it's like, no, it's not. This is horrific. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just... So I, I think it's so helpful to, to what you said, identifying something that actually fills your cup and did fill your cup before kids. And if it's as simple as a shower, oh, and for me, I loved a bath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love a bath. Still love yeah. a bath. And do you mind um, me asking how the then when you had your second child, mm. did you did was it an immediate revert back to having anxiety or no? We did you have coping techniques in place? Yeah, so we um, decided to. I fell pregnant with our second just before my eldest turned three, so it took about three years, um, and I immediately started seeing I'd had a break from seeing my psychologist but I started seeing her again I was feeling fine um but I started seeing her again because I knew I just wanted to make sure that I had my strategies in place yeah the other decision that I made was to have an elective cesarean um and also I went through a different I went through a, a private um obstetrician booked in the elective cesarean chose my hospital so I just put things in place that yes, I was able to control um and and to be honest the the whole experience um from from going into the the hospital I felt like I was checking into a hotel yes Luxury. I'm just, just here for the cesarean um <laughs> and um and everyone it was just it, it just went so smoothly. Everyone had a, a job, you know, and it was went to schedule, I suppose. And for me personally, that experience um, was really lovely. And when uh, Thomas, my second, came out and they put him on my chest, I actually cried happy tears. And then I was embarrassed because I was crying. I'm like, no, no, I'm allowed <laughs> to be happy. What am I doing? Um, so I had that, and I had that immediate love. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is actually what it's supposed to be like. Wow. So for me, it was a very healing experience to have the second We've child. Both. That's right. It's so funny. It's exactly the same as me. <laughs> I, I, I felt out of control with Bertie and I struggled with the bond and then I elected to have, because of my trauma from the birth and the episiotomy and the recovery, um, 
I decided to have an elective and they put Jimmy on my chest, chest and I cried. Mm. And I and it was that moment. And then I, I there was a period there where I felt um, I was worried that my initial bond with Bertie in that moment in the hospital room where I was struggling to have him on my chest, I was worried that was going to last his lifetime. Mm. Like it had set the tone. Um, but I feel I'm growing more confidence in feeling like, no, it, it changes and it evolves and nothing's set in stone. Um, yeah. Yeah. But Jimmy, and like, and then, you know, and then Jimmy's three and I'm like, you're a little shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say, cause I, I worry, I worried the same thing. I thought, my gosh, I've damaged my first child because he didn't have the immediate love, but between my two children, the older one is actually the more sensitive, touchy-feely one, and the younger one's the little terror. Um, so I don't, I mean, who knows? Yeah. I guess finishing off, it's a tricky one to ask, but um, it is something that we ask all of our guests, and I guess this particular topic is quite sensitive, but if you had some hindsight to, to share with your younger self, um, and maybe becoming a parent, being pregnant or becoming a parent or in those times where you were, what would you in hindsight go back and say to yourself as advice or an empowerment? I think um, what I touched on before about calling, reaching out for help, that you don't need to be at crisis and, and the things that you see or that you envisage is depression or anxiety or a mental health crisis. It doesn't have to get to the point where you're in a corner rocking back and forth. Um, That reaching out for help is actually the strong thing to do. Being vulnerable is the brave thing to do. Trying to hold on when you're actually breaking inside, that's that's not going to do anyone yeah it's not going to help and it doesn't help you it doesn't help the people you're trying to look after it doesn't help your relationship with your partner um actually being vulnerable and asking for help is the best thing to do thank you so much for taking the time and being so willing and open to share with us your experience um and and guide us through not only your advice but panda's advice as well it's such a um as you said it's an organization that i wish i had known about and i'm sure so you're 100 percent would have called them mm. multiple times. multiple times yeah <laughs> i hope out of any of this we as three women can um look at each other and say we joke about wanting to make that call but i that there is a strength in making that call yeah and and um, and you can't solve problems through silence you solve them mm, through conversation yeah and that and awareness for sure so thank you so much megan you've been amazing thank you thanks for having me thank you for joining us for this week's episode of not super woman You can find extra resources, links and information on our website, which is notsuper-woman.com. Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, Rash. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Um, And if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys. 